All right, welcome to Shades of ABA with Adrian and Deanna. And today we have two very special guests on the show. Uh, we have Nicole and Portia from Two Brown Behavior Girls, Two BBG. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I was right, Tiana. <laughs> no, what is it? No, you're right. I am right. Yeah. That's not how it is on the email. <laughs> Behavior Brown Girls. Oh, I said two brown behavior girls. It's written like two different ways in this email too. Which way is it? <laughs> it's just two brown behavior girls. It's two brown behavior girls? Yes. Okay. But no worries. Um, let's introduce our guest, Tiana, and get to it. Okay, so we have Portia Campbell, who is one of the co-founders of Two Brown Behavior Girls. Um, she was born and raised in South Carolina. Portia is a wife and a mother of one baby girl. She attended the University of South Carolina where she received a BA in psychology. She then co continued her education at Columbia College where she received her master's in education. With a growing passion to work with children with autism, she then decided to go ahead and pursue her BCBA where she completed that work at Clemson University and became a board certified behavior analyst in 2016. She has experience in interdiscipl interdisciplinary clinical settings, in the home settings, parent training, social skills groups, behavior reduction and skill acquisition. Portia's passion is to support, educate and advocate for parents of children with ASD and other developmental delays. Welcome, Portia. Hello. We also have Georgia native, Nicole Mobley, who's also the um, co-founder of Two Brown Behavior Girls. She has worked with children for 11 years. Nine of those years have been in applied behavior analysis. Nicole completed her bachelor's of science in psychology at South Carolina State University. While working passionately in the field, she's earned her MS in psychology, specializing in ABA. She will be taking the BCBA exam soon. Good luck. She has a she has service clients ages two to seventeen with developmental delays, um, autism spectrum disorder, Down syndrome, fragile X syndrome, Angel S, and operational defiance disorder. She has experience in interdisciplinary um, clinical setting and parent training as, RB, as an RBT. Amongst other skills, Nicole is creative, energetic, and extremely passionate, which she believes contributes to her success with the clients she serves. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, so, Nicole and Portia, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the Two Brown Girls and, and where that got started, and then we're going to get into our conversation today. Um, so, Nicole and I have worked with each other for about six years um, at various um, clinics throughout Atlanta, Georgia, and through our experience with working in clinics, um, we found that we have similarities and things that we do agree with and things that we don't agree with, the treatment of the clients, the treatment of parents, just operational things um, in interdisciplinary clinical settings. Um, and so from there, 
we kind of grew into having these chats outside after work um, where we would chat for like an hour or so just about making a difference and changes that we would make. Um, so we created two Brown Behavior Girls as an um, outlet for us to express how um, we would like things to be ran um, within the field of ABA, as well as we wanted to uplift other professionals around us. So with our Instagram page, we currently display um, professionals in the field, um, all around the world, giving professional, professionals an opportunity to meet and collaborate. Um, we also have like a Wise Wednesday where we share different things that we think is wisdom um, and that we have learned over the years. Then we also have a Fact Friday, which includes um, facts about the field, ABA, mental health, social skills, parent training, all things ABA. <laughs> so that kind of segues into my first question. One of the things that you guys do is um, you highlight, you know, different members every week, uh, professional members every week on your Instagram. And I've noticed that you have highlighted people of color um, and, and put them into the, the, that spotlight and, um, you know, let people know this is what they do, this is who they are. Given the current times, right, um, we as a field of ABA have been turned over, flipped over, brought back to life, died again, brought back to life again, all in a leverage of like three days. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, and one of the things that I have found pretty consistent in what our Caucasian counterparts are saying is, wow, we had no idea or we want to improve our representation and things like that. And, and you guys are, are, are doing that in, in a different way. Um, so I guess my official question is number one what are your thoughts on that and number two was that the premise behind um you kind of spotlighting those professionals in those different areas um i think spotlighting it just so happens it was unintentional that it is um us black and brown people that we are highlighting as far as it wasn't just supposed to be that however um it is so important. So it wasn't like we were like, well, we're not gonna do this. It was just like, well, this is perfect. Let's go ahead and highlight um, the black and brown community in the ABA field. And I think that we also see the, um, the feedback that we get from um, the others who are like celebrating with us. And, you know, we're, we're also being like shocked to see so many African-Americans in this field so i think it was unintentional but in the times we are in now and also how the field has grown um i think it is important that we kind of spotlight um, black and brown people in the field so that people can see like you know as as opposed to just working in uh being an aba therapist and then moving to an rbt that there are some who move up from be uh a behavior therapist to RBT to a BCBA, and there are a lot of us in those leadership uh, positions and trying to get there as well. And we just wanted to kind of create a 
place where where we are celebrated. Like um, for myself personally, when I became a BCBA, um, I was the only Black BCBA. Um, pretty much, yeah, every job I've worked on except one, I've always been the only Black BCBA. So I found myself um, being in this position where I'm not only supervising RBTs, I became this like outlet for RBTs when they felt like they were done wrong in um, with the company. They felt comfortable coming to me, asking me how they should go about approaching um, the the owners of the company or the director of the company. Um, I also became this outlet for families where, you know, as African Americans, I feel like sometimes we have to mask our emotions or we have to mask certain feelings when we're dealing with um, professionals or not wanting professionals to see us as aggressors. So oftentimes parents may want to advocate for something and they didn't really feel comfortable doing it with someone that was of a different race because they didn't want to be seen as that aggressor. But they knew with coming to me, they could release their frustration, they could advocate for their kid, and they knew that I wouldn't see them as this aggressive Black women, woman that we oftentimes get labeled as. So I just want to ask a question. When you, you've been a BCBA for, since 2016, mm -hmm. and you're saying that in the last four years or so, you have, up until like, I'm assuming your current position, you've been the only black BCBA. No, not, at, not even in my current position. <laughs> I'm the only black BCBA in my current position. Um, for the first, three years, I was the only black BCBA in my first job. Then um, I worked at another clinic and I actually went to that job because I, um, on the interview, I saw a black BCBA and I exchanged numbers with her and I got a good vibe about the clinic. The only reason why I went to another clinic. So I've only worked on one job with the black bcba and, and i wouldn't even say that they worked together because no we just worked for the same company so they basically dispersed two black bcbas at two different clinics and how big was that how big would you say that clinic was as far as the, um, their supervisors so there was pretty much three supervisors at um each clinic and the first clinic that I worked at, it was five supervisors and I was um, the last to be hired. And um, basically when I left that job, they replaced my position with another black BCBA. So it was kind of more so like, let's have that one, you know what I'm saying? Let's have that one black BCBA on staff so that you can't say that we're discriminating or anything. So I've oftentimes felt felt like I am that one on the job. So let me let me touch on that and for a second. What I absolutely hate is let me meet my quota. Yes. 
philosophy. Yes. And when you say, when you ask a company, how diverse is your staff? Oh, we have a black BCBA. <laughs> uh, black. Uh, a black. Most of the RBTs in, in clinics I've been to, the majority is black. Minority. Black. Right. Or minority. Right. So when you are like, oh, we have such a diverse staff. Our technicians are of multiple different minorities. What you're saying to me is that your hourly staff that can barely afford to pay the bills are minorities. And you are proud to have a shit ton of minorities <laughs> in that financial category. Right, right. But you don't have the the thought process or the philosophy that, hey, we need to have them in leadership roles. Because just how you had your experience, Portia, where you have um, technicians coming to you of like, hey, let me get this advice before I go talk to this white woman or this white man who's going to see me as an aggressor so you can coach me into how I need to have this conversation so I don't get seen as intimidating or aggressive. And those conversations happen more often than people actually think. Because I'm not going to my white coworker or my Asian coworker or my Arabic coworker asking her, hey, how should I have this conversation? I'm going to the other black BCBA and say, hey, I'm trying not to get fired. So coach me into how I need to re reduce my emotions and, you know, am I saying this right? I do this now with Tiana. Like, I call her friend, like, how does this email sound professional because I'm not trying to lose my job <laughs> you know and then on top of that I think what I challenge companies to do is to get out of a quota mindset and get into a game mindset. quality right and I I, I um, want to say this analogy because I think it would resonate with America majority of America so when you have a football team right, and you're um, playing a game, and you look up on the scoreboard, one team wins, one team loses. Let's look at the winning team. The winning team won 21 to 7, right? You go back into the locker room, and the coach is chewing your ass out, because although the number looks good, like you guys won, you played like shit, right? So if we take the philosophy of diversity, equity, inclusion, and look at how are we playing the game for the long term and not just the short term of numbers, that's where we need to look at. Because diversity, equity, inclusion can, isn't just the number of staff you have that apply in a minority category. It's looking at what your training look like. It's looking at your website. It's looking at your intake questions. It's looking at your training and not just doing that basic Medicaid training on diversity and inclusion that we have to do, you know, for the state that nobody pays attention to. Um, it's looking at, you know, do you have a diversity and inclusion committee? You know, how are you maintaining that philosophy instead of making it a numbers game and saying, oh, we have this representation in this number? I had a follow-up question so we have laid the platform that you um 
have been the only black VCBA outside of the one outside of that one opportunity when you were at that a previous company. How many black supervisors as either of you were going like coming through the field have you guys encountered? Like, and I'm saying starting off as a behavior technician, like when you're first in the field, or were you the first black BCBA that you encountered? I was the first black BCBA that I encountered. And how long ago was that? 2016. 2016. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's just insane. The fact that just like with slavery, it wasn't that long ago, we're, we're still in it. We're yeah. still in the thick of things of yeah. trying to be diverse in any field, whether it's your job and whether it's going to the grocery store. It's like a lot of stuff we're just trying to be included in, you know. So, yeah, that's crazy that it was. I mean, we ain't, we haven't had a chance to sit and really look at it like that, that she was the first BCBA she encountered and she was my first BCBA that I, Black BCBA that I had encountered, being in the field as long as I was and then herself, so. And, and that's, that's my point right there is that we collectively, all four of us have been in the field for a long time and we're not encountering Black supervisors who are available for us who, who can show that, I guess going back to from here and going back to where we do our meet the pro Mondays I feel like we've gotten the opportunity to see that there are so many of us um, it may not be a, a lot of us just yet but there are so many of us because I wouldn't have um, I wouldn't have known not making that platform um, myself and Portia just seeing the feedback and seeing the people that's coming through, um, whether colored or not, you know, it's just, they're there, but then seeing as many black and brown people that, that are in the field striving to be in leadership and already in leadership. It is very shocking. Cause I will say like the fact that our, the, um, not, not our, but the Facebook page trees and like black applied behavior analysts, the fact is how many people are of color in the field, like in, on that page, mm -hmm. it was shocking. that was something shocking for me to see. Mm -hmm. um, so, hopefully. Let's be real. When I found that page, I was like, what? Like, we're here, we're here. <laughs> we're, we're, we exist, you know? And I think that when you take that approach of like how, literally intrinsically happy I get when I see another black person at a conference and I, I'd be looking at them and I'm like okay I can't assume that you pro black just like I'm pro black so like let me gauge and can I come up to you all right I'm gonna try to closely sit next to you let me analyze like are you looking at me when I'm looking at you we have to go through this whole math equation in our head and like when they say something shady and we kind of right like what's your response girl <laughs> exactly. right like are we on the same page and I just encountered it when I was at BAM even myself you know I saw these these black BCBAs um, and BAM is our local Michigan um, ABA organization conference uh the first year I went, I was one of like five. And every year I go, I see more and more and more. But also, like the more I see, it's only still like 25. 
And then in the last four or five years, there has only been two Black people who have presented, one of them being myself, and that was two years ago, and then another one being um, Nicole Hollins from Western Michigan. She presented this just past year. So from my knowledge in the last five years, there has only been two Black or minorities in general that have presented at this conference. Um, and the other thing is, is that representation piece. And like, I want the masses to know like how much it means to us when we find someone that looks like us um, to the majority. And so my question for you, um, Nicole, from a technician standpoint, that's not in the leadership role yet, and finding Portia for your supervisor and creating the relationship that you guys have is, is a beautiful thing. How has that made you feel as a technician and an employee of these companies when you, when you don't see that? Um, see that? Um, it's, so prior to Portia becoming a supervisor and prior to being working under her, I didn't, I didn't even know really the leadership role and how important it was because of the, the places I've been. I don't feel like they've been, um, I don't feel like they showed the, that the, the dynamic of being a leader, like what, what I am as a BCBA, how I'm supposed to approach this. So I've always been, um, I've always been creative, always been a person who, um, I've been passionate about the field. So the things that I do, like when I'm sitting down at a table with a kid, if I feel like something works, I'm going to bring it up. I give my advice. So I kind of always been just a, a leadership in a leadership position for myself and just in any ways. So when I come across like um, working in these other clinics where there aren't anybody that of color that were um, above me, I didn't get... I'll say that I don't feel like it was um, any fairness to things. I've always felt it was always unfair. I've always felt like there was um, a way I had to react to certain things or um, a way I had to present myself. And not that I would be unprofessional in any way, but if I had an opinion, if I had an idea about things, um, always being cautious whether they would get shut down or whether I would be taken at taken a different way. So. Um, prior to being under Portia, like she said, going to her, having those conversations about how do I approach this situation or how do I approach that, it was it was definitely a light at the end of the tunnel um, because I didn't feel like um, I I never had an aspiration to become uh, say a BCBA initially because I didn't know what it was until I got to the clinic that myself and her worked at um, our second clinic that we worked at together. And so then once she became a BCBA, I was like, okay, she's, she's African-American. She's my friend. She's smart. I know she knows what she's doing. She's passionate about this. I have those same qualities. So it made me strive for it. So I'll say in saying that, I don't feel like the Caucasian or others that were in those leadership positions made me feel like I could be a BCBA or I could be in a leadership position. So um, I think it helped to see her move in that way because then it helped me to strive and um, here I am today, a master's recipient and going to take this exam soon. And so I think that it, it really helped and that's where we all come in and, and helping uh, people who are just an RBT or you know just a technician say, 
hey, I can do it too. I can be in a leadership position. I can have that same passion and showing them that there is more to being a BCBA than what some people, you know, might show you. No, I, I love it. I, I think that once you, and Portia and, and Tiana, um, let me know if you guys feel the same way. Sometimes we go on our day-to-day so much that we don't realize how much we, just us being present impacts someone else mm-hmm. or us speaking up impacts someone else. And I, I'm in a, I'm in a leadership role um, within my current company um, and in other leadership roles. And sometimes you just, so, you just, just get so into the routine of things they don't take a step back and, and realize, okay, hey, like, I need to portray myself in this light because this person might be looking at me for inspiration. And because I am represented at this table, I need to, to take that into account. Yeah. Um, Portia and Tiana, do you guys ever feel the same way or have that thought? Yeah, I do. I feel like... Um, I basically had to learn along the way. So I spent most of my first year um, learning how to be a BCBA, being a supervisor, billing, all that stuff. But with observing my counterparts, um, I also had to learn that I needed to move a little bit differently from the person sitting right beside me. They can go in and be a little more assertive and it gets the job done where I need to, you know, go through this person and that person and have a meeting to get the same job done. Um, So I did learn that and I think with learning that, I tried to like talk to the RBTs and helping them to know like, hey, I get it. I get what you're saying. I don't think that is fair. I do think you should stand up for yourself, but this is the language that you may have to use. So the topography may look different from the white RBT, mm-hmm. but the message is still the same and you need to stand behind that message. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, for a lot of times, being in this role and then having like my natural my natural personality is like I'm very to the point I'm very direct I'm just very like let's you know get to what we with the um lacking as much emotion as possible let's just deliver this message and keep going and knowing that some people are not always as they don't know that people not many people know how to perceive or, or even receive that so I've had like being a black BCBA working um, with a multitude of um, individuals having to adjust that just so that I can be, you know, more received and more um, and having that um, and building like those rapports and that being able to build that relationship with individuals so that they can see me as someone who can, that they can talk to um, and, and get guidance from. It's definitely one of the, the skills that I <laughs> still work my hardest on because some days, you know, I just want to be like, We're, let's just get to the point, you know, but I will say, but even in, like, even in being that direct, 
I've all those who develop those have been able to develop those relationships with me or just even hearing like if I have technicians who are going through something like my sessions always start how are you you know how what is oh well we're doing fine we're doing no 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 I asked how are you like you know what what's going on how's your mindset do we need to take a minute so that you can be make sure that you're present in this session and i realized that a lot of especially like with my black technicians they were just like you do that like i'm what you care about how my mental health right now um and even so much so that i've had a technician who worked, who's working on a client. She eventually, we did a case load switch. So we eventually weren't working together, but she was going through this period of time where she didn't look well, like at all. And I'm like, kept pushing her and pushing her and pushing her. Like, you need to go to the hospital. You need to do this. You need to make sure you're taking care of yourself. And she just said, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Hobbling around, barely able to walk, looking, um, looking terrible. However, she's at the company a whole year and a half before I even arrived there. All of these people who know her, oh, we're her friend, and oh, we love her, and she's such a great technician. She's so great. Nobody thought to ask her how she was doing or to push her to be like to go take care of herself. And literally, it, week after week, it, I may have gotten to like the week three, and I'm like, you need to go to the doctor. Like, stop playing around. Um, and just me, like me pushing her for that, and then even going to HR and going to our scheduling team and going to our like our clinical director, like something has to happen because this girl cannot like she she's a great tag normally, but she cannot function right now. And just like being able to realize and speak, like I think it's important that people you know haven't been able to help her speak because she she was scared she was like well they're going to retaliate against me or I'm not going to have my, my hours or something's going to happen as to why I don't want to speak up that I'm having a health issue right now and it should not be that case that whether it's mental health physical health emotional like you should be able to have and people should be aware to advocate for that and you know especially and, in this field especially because and I think that um, I've seen where, and I don't know if they expect uh, expect us to be strong because you know we deal with so much. So they they don't they brush aside the things that we might be going through in our outer our outer life as long as we work and we do our job and we don't say anything. Um, because I've witnessed others um, that are not minorities go in and say, "Hey, my cat died today," or not my cat died, but my cat is sick because I've had my pet pass away. In, in the midst of working, but I've heard someone go in office and say, hey, my pet is sick, and they literally let this person leave. But if I go in there and say the same thing, it would be an issue or there would be a problem. So I- Oh, it's okay. Can you finish the rest of your session? Yeah. Can you, yeah, yeah. Can you finish the day out and then leave or, you know, um, or, you know, it's just, it's, it's, they expect us, they expect differently from us just by and that even goes to say with um, the way that we present ourselves when we go in there we say things we're not going in there aggressively we may just be going in there and speaking but they already have this preconceived notion of how they think we're going to come in there or the fact that they're wrong and i'm telling you hey i don't like this you don't like the way i'm telling you i don't like this i'm speaking up for myself so then it becomes a problem and um i guess you know my experience 
with as being a um, RBT in this field, I have um, been terminated for speaking up. So, um, and I do truly believe, and I have witnessed that someone else um, not of color has spoken up in the almost in the same light as me and are probably in, they, they were going to school as well, they're in BCBA now, but they didn't lose their job. You know, so it's, it's really, um, it's depressing at times, but if you're not strong enough like we are, um, then you don't deal with it well. So it is important that we figure out like professionally, if they, I feel like when we make the light about professionals in, the, um, in this field and that we are black professionals, um, teaching us how to be professional, what it means to be professional, and what professionals look like. Because when we go into these offices and we speak to these people, and as, as well as having your own LLC and having your own companies, um, it helps a lot. Because then when we go in there and we're talking to them, we don't feel like that's our end-all, be-all. If I lose this job, I'm okay. Because they're going to be something else out there for me, or I can do better. I can become a BCB. I can own my own company. I can start something in the same field, and I'll be right side by side with my with my counterparts working just as hard. And I think one of the things um, that we touched on is that we often have to compromise our personalities and who we are in the workplace. Um, and not that the workplace does it on purpose, right? It's these little microaggressions or these little um, conscious or unconscious biases um, that shape our behavior. It's all learned behavior. You know, people are like, oh, we don't want you to feel this way. You don't have to act that way towards me, right? And let's take the ABA approach, right? How long does it take for a child that's been engaging in problem behavior for eight years to reduce problem behavior. You know, you, it's gonna take time. We're gonna do phase change lines. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna adjust the treatment. We're gonna adjust the reinforcement schedule and all of that, but that takes time. So because there isn't like this central, this is how all ABA companies need to run in relations to that, you have to, hop to these companies and find the one that's not going to let you compromise your personality as much as the last one. Exactly. That's sad that you have to say as much as the last as one. As much as, and I want to put that clear, as much. You will always have to compromise. Now, here's my question. Do you, feel, do you guys feel like you would have to compromise if you worked for a Black-owned company or a minority-owned company? I don't. I don't think you would have to compromise um, because of the fact we know how we are as a culture and we know that I know if like Nicole gets an attitude, you know, she's having a moment. I'm going to let her have her moment. Whereas I'm not going to fire Nicole for having an attitude. I don't see it more than an attitude. I don't see it as she's aggressive, she's um, insubordinate or anything of that nature. That sometimes I feel like in these companies, it's the smallest thing that can happen that will 
get someone terminated. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do think with working with a black company, I don't, I wouldn't want there to be any like laxidation where you think like it's going to be homegirl style. Mm-hmm. I would want the RBTs, the BCBAs to keep that same professionalism that you have with these counterpart companies. But I do want you to feel comfortable coming to talk to me and us working together for the greater good of our community. Um, And I think if we keep that as the goal, then we won't have so many issues and we won't have to compromise as much. And I would say too, I think that as um as African Americans in this field too, I feel like we we are very hardworking. But I'll say in the companies that I've been in, I also see that if there is no uh, leadership period and there is no organization, then people don't work. So if I don't, if you don't get on to me about something or you don't tell me something or there's no policy in place and I'm just doing stuff and I'm getting by, then there tends to be that, that laziness that happens. So I think if it's, it's a chain, it's a, a ball and chain effect. It does, you know, if one thing is not structured, then everything else can fall in, fall apart. But I will say to piggyback off of Portia saying that in a, in a black company, if I was under a black um, owned company and I worked for someone and I saw that they were passionate and I think that's, I don't know if, you know, it's just for me and Portia, but I see how passionate she is. I see how she works. I see how she cares about her clients and how that reflects on how I deal with her clients. So if that is in place, then I truly believe that the, the company that is black owned will, will definitely strive and will definitely grow um, to be a professional company and to be the company that you know you can, you feel comfortable, you don't feel like at any moment, even if I am upset and I come to you and I'm telling you, hey, this is what's wrong, I'm upset today, and you know you can determine because I think we also as black people we are a little bit we have a little bit more discernment with things so like if I see that Portia's upset she comes in and I can feel her vibe and I can see she's upset I'm not going to take it as she's mad with me or I she has to feel away and you know she's attitude I'm going to either let her have her space I might ask her what's wrong but if she comes in the room and I'm sitting with her kid and she's like can you do this you know right I'm, I'm not going to, I feel like though that little tone, certain tones or little things you do in a, in a, a company that's owned by a white person, they immediately feel like she caught that attitude that day. And I don't, they don't, they, it's almost like they, they don't, they don't understand in the climate we're in today. They don't understand how we are, whether we're aggressive, whether we're upset, whether we're sad, they don't understand it. So I feel like they immediately feel like if you said one thing to them one day or you didn't speak to them, this I've had this where if you don't come in and you're like, good morning, everybody. Hey, they feel like you got a problem. Something's wrong with Nicole today. Um, so I don't need to talk to her. And I feel like that then trickles down. They hold those those um, ideals of 
of a black woman or of a black person. And they're immediately like, okay, Nicole ain't speak to me today and today's Monday. Let's see if she speaks to me tomorrow. On the she came in, she did her job. She didn't, you know, she didn't bother anybody. She didn't cuss anybody out. She didn't say anything negative. She came in, she did her job. She even waved at me when I walked by and spoke to her kid. But they already, already have that idea. So it doesn't matter what I do from that point on. If I come in the next day and I'm like, hey, good morning, y'all. It's, it's like, it, do, it just doesn't matter. So I think um, working for a white-owned company and, and a black-owned company, I think that it's just the fact of understanding, um, just like with everything we're going through now, they, they'll never understand how we feel. They see it, but they can't quite get um, the feelings behind it. And vice versa, you know, like I will never understand how a white person feels in the right. era today. Right, you know, right. I will, we always say, you know, be comfortable in your uncomfortableness, you know, be comfortable being vulnerable to start these conversations. Um, and just like they are asking for our perspective, I'm asking for their perspective, right. you know. Um, I had a great conversation with um, a white colleague yes, yesterday yesterday yes my brain you would think I was pregnant too <laughs> I'm not <laughs> Tiana feels in that way um but I was having just a great conversation of what his perspective was and it shed a light on that I also need to understand that I won't understand a hundred percently how they feel you know, um, and and the barriers that they have to reaching out and to educating themselves and, and all of that, right? All I can do is, is do my best in understanding that perspective and to doing my own education um, with that. Because I think people look at us and they're like, oh, you're a minority, you have all the answers. No, like I messed up too. Mm -hmm. you know with other people of color you know i i've i've messed up i've said the wrong thing you know but what i don't do is i don't apologize and say i'm sorry but i did it because of this and you know you shouldn't hold me to right. that stop mm -hmm. doing that i'm sorry buts mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. sit in your sit in your mistake feel that take that in you know internalize that and just say i'm sorry period Mm -hmm. How can I do better? Mm -hmm. Question. Adrian, you said barriers that they have. Who creates those barriers? Who do you, like, let's talk, who do we think creates those barriers? I think sometimes we create our own barriers that don't necessarily have to exist. Um, but I also think that society has created these barriers um i i think it's it's it goes both ways i think that their learned experience in the society and their immediate circles have taught them one thing right and they are constantly getting this one thing over here and it's in their ear right they take themselves out of that immediate circle and plot themselves into another circle right but that new circle has a different perspective than the old circle. Um, but that's, you're, you're 28 years old, 
And that's 28 years of constantly of what that old circle was putting in, into Mm -hmm. your head. So then I think that's a barrier that is something that they have to overcome, but they have to actively be seeking to overcome it, right? We, we talk about addiction, you know, and getting help. There's therapy, there's, you know, rehab and, and all of that. Those are available there. But therapy and rehab never works unless the person wants to, to reduce this addiction themselves mm-hmm. and take the actionable steps themselves and to overcome those variables barriers and to overcome that vulnerability and addiction you know is really a disease so to overcome that disease um and put in the work but they have to they have to put in the work triple time and so i think that the response effort that someone has to put in is in to reduce those barriers is a lot I get what you're saying, but I think like the 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 piece that is, and it's not you saying this, but the piece that becomes like a little frustrating for me is that we're giving this reasoning. I won't I won't call it an excuse today, but we're giving this reasoning as to why white people should be okay, like why white people have their barriers, but we're not given a reason or an excuse or any kind of slack to why we should be like why we have to um, why we shouldn't be pushing past our barriers and pushing past our you know our issues or anything like we're expected to immediately be like I'm in this situation let's just you know clean our hands keep it going you know it doesn't matter I don't get to be I don't get to feel how I need to feel all because of someone else's perspective of saying like, oh, but it's not that big of a deal. But really, you know, we're not, we're not awarded the, that same thought process. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that you were touching on, Tiana, is um, the leeway that we give our, our non-people of color in the majority. Um, Nicole and Portia, we are all about solutions on this podcast. Um, and we, we ask you, what do you think a solution is to improving the representation within, within the field and not giving these companies a leeway? The first one is having professional HR on staff. I've never worked for a clinic who has HR on staff. Uh, we need HR on staff to make complaints who's non-biased. Um, we need HR on staff who will deliver diversity trainings. And I don't mean a diversity training at the beginning of the year and it's never brought up again. This needs to be ongoing um, within these companies. Um, I think that's where it starts. And that's literally a start. And I'm also um, with it being professionals in HR and how we have um, in the behavioral field, we have ethics and we have um, codes that we have to adhere to. I feel like um, diversity with the board, I feel like um, like really if, if there was knowing that we work with so many different uh, clients, 
and that the field is growing diversely as far as leadership, you know, black and brown community becoming leadership um, in leadership positions, um, the board being able to recognize that at some point, because I think that once that becomes, um, you know, diverse there, then when you open up a clinic and your HR department has to be professional, it has to know diversity, um, and then it trickles down to the BCBAs and leadership, and then it trickles down to the RBT. So I think that both HR and the board kind of um, are the top two things that kind of the tier, the top of the tier, or maybe the bottom, the foundation, making it, you know, better for the, the field to be more diverse and inclusive. And just piggybacking on what she said, I feel like I can both sprinkles on diversity. Mm-hmm. There needs to be more black and white ethical codes for diversity. And maybe if we're held accountable, if we're in ethical violation for doing certain things that may be considered um, racist, mm-hmm. and you're in the possible consequence of losing your board certification, that will hold people a little more accountable. I think we're actually one of the only boards that don't require um, diversity and inclusion training within like our continuing education credits and things like that. Um, And I know in Tennessee, in order for you to be a licensed behavior analyst, you have to take, I think, about three courses on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think, you know, our board or even different states can, you know, repeat that and replicate that to ensure that that is going to be a good point of of training. Um, Tiana, what do you think? I agree with the points that have been made, like not to even go back and um, repeat and rehash, like, you know, the board definitely needs to create um, this different standards and state by state needs to ensure that we are having um, that ethics and cultural, um, well, not even just, not just state by state, but there, but also coursework by coursework, like, the courses, colleges are not requiring this inform- the, these lessons and, um, and making sure that, that those experiences are there. Um, walk, companies welcoming the dialogue and ensuring that there is not just dialogue, but also training. And if there, you know, you, you have people who say things like, um, well, I don't know why they're doing this. Like, and even, I'm not even going to say with a black person, but like, I've had and encounter people who will say things about um, Middle Eastern people. Well, they're in America now. That's not appropriate. Don't ever want to hear you say that again. Exactly. You know, um, and just following up with those kind of those kind of lessons and not accepting stuff, um, statements like that. Agreed. Well, Nicole and Portia, um, we thank you guys for being on this show. And I, I have a feeling that we're going to do a part two because I think there's a lot more that we can we can discuss. Um, do you guys want to drop your social media handles for our audience to follow you guys on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, you, they can follow us at Two Brown Behavior Girls. It's at T W O Brown Behavior Girls. Um, 
we are currently in the uh, stages of developing other things, a website and all that stuff. So, um, but that will all be posted on our page once we get there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show and we look forward to having you guys back and we will see you guys soon. Thank you for having us. You guys have a good day.